See Sweet and Sour, powered by Align, the podcast where we talk about the sweet and not-so-sweet sides of leadership. Welcome to the very first episode of See Sweet and Sour. I am very, very lucky uh, to host uh, Barrett King, and I'll get to your bar right now, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is pretty pretty straightforward. Um, Barrett King has spent the last decade of his career in SaaS. During that time, he has helped grow a successful startup as head of sales and been part of HubSpot's growth from 500 employees to 8,000. That's legit. Uh, While at HubSpot, he has worked in channel sales, helping to develop some of the business's top partners, was their first head of sales training for the partner program, managed a corporate sales team, and taken part in many unique projects along the way. Currently, Baird is responsible for HubSpot's global GTM go-to-market strategy. Uh, sorry, yeah, go-to-market strategy around partner growth as they continue to scale into the enterprise segment. He works alongside the business leaders to drive top-line growth, revenue impact, and ensure continued alignment across the partnership ecosystem to meet the growing needs of their customers. How is that? That was exquisite. I, I actually, I don't know that I myself who have, I'm living that could have said it better. So nailed it. And I'm, I'm fired up to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. So again, thank you very much for coming. And um, the idea of CC Sour is to kind of give soon to be or current business leaders some insight into how to grow a business. What better way to start with sales, right? In general, I think if you think about what a business is, the lifeline is sales. Even though I'm a marketer, we're responsible for top of funnel. But at the end of the day, um, I'm very, very aware of the fact that if sales don't close, none of it matters. I would love if, Barry, you can talk a little bit about your, your, your experience and, and kind of get into uh, – and, and we'll just veer off, off of that. Let's, let's see how it goes. Yeah, so I, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of my career. I, it's funny. I'm like the typical – uh, almost 38 year old now, which makes me uh, slightly older than a millennial, which I'm, I'm actually very proud of. I can't say millennial. I'm like on the edge enough to avoid that term. I don't know what that makes me, but I'm not that. And so, you know, when I graduated college, I had a design degree. I had a digital arts and design bachelor's and it was 2008, which for those of you that remember, it's like one of the worst financial crises that the world and certainly this country had ever experienced. And so, you know, I'm sitting there going like, cool, I got a degree. Like everyone's happy with me and proud. What do I do with it? How do I make money? How do I start from here? And so I had been selected as graduating class speaker. So when all my peers are winning awards for like incredible 3D model and like the best video game design, I wasn't that guy. Like I didn't have any just like mastery of art. But what I realized was that language and communication and speaking were uh, the art that I had crafted. So I had this quote that I wrote for myself because I had an ego and why not? And so I had to have a quote graduating right in there. Like, and I said, with these words as my art, I will paint the canvas of life. That was my my kind of statement. Yeah. And in hindsight, I don't know if I, I completely made it up. Like I'm sure it's off of something else, but it it captured who I was at the time. It captures who I am now. And so I spent the next really like call it 10, eight to 10 years trying to figure out who I wanted to be when I grew up. And I'll tell you like the secret is I still don't know. But what I figured out along the way was that having different experiences was impactful. So I use the analogy of, uh, I use Legos as a good example. Everyone knows what a Lego is, right? So that that green mat, <laughs> that green mat that we all remember is like where we built our house or like put our boat yeah. on or whatever it was. That green mat, I think about that moment when I graduated primary education. And it was like, all right, I have a couple like four by four blues and a couple six by six greens. And like, that's really good. And that's helpful. And that gives me a foundation to work from. Some of my peers had like these towers of blue or these towers of green. I had a little bit of each and I had a little bit of some other things as well. And I spent early career in restaurants at one point and, you know, opened some cool spots here in Boston and had a blast. I was in an early stage tech startup. I was in a late stage tech startup, kind of, I guess, mid to late stage. I bounced around a little bit because I was just trying to figure out how do I take you know, these words as my art and that statement and use it to build a career? And I, I had, my father was in sales and I had been around sales, but didn't understand from a, I think from just like a kind of holistic view more than anything, how to apply what I had done to it. Long and short of it is I spent the next couple of years trying to figure out what that looked like. And in that time, added more Lego bricks to my, to my mat. And so my mat got more and more dense. I started to see almost this like, if you can picture in your head, like a, like a pyramid, almost like a Mayan temple. There was no point on it. It was like this kind of like blocky thing. And long and short of it is I figured out, you know, later on 
that I could bring together those different shapes and, and colors and sizes to curate some sort of a story, right? And I think a big part of sales is storytelling, certainly. And so I got better and better the more I told it at describing what that story was for myself. And so what it came down to was I was at a, you know, you said it earlier, but a startup before I came to HubSpot that, you know, was in tech that was selling to restaurants. It was this nice marriage of like, I had been in restaurants in Boston. We had opened a cool spot. So we had attention. People knew, you know, other GMs knew who I was because I, they were my friends. They were my peers. So I could sell to them. I could sell value to them. And two uh, months into joining this startup, the CEO called me on a Sunday, which is never good. It's like, you never want that phone call on a Sunday. And it's like mid afternoon. I'm like, oh gosh, this is it. And he said, um, you know, we just fired the VP of sales. We will be back after this short message. 90% of businesses fail. 10% don't. Here's why. Plans fail when you don't have the right systems and software in place. This is why we built Align, a strategic growth management software that allows you to share real-time updates and eliminate miscommunication. Align is an easy-to-use, cloud-based software with features like daily huddles, KPI dashboards, software integrations, and so much more. You can see your company's priorities, critical numbers, goals and tasks while holding everyone accountable. And all this in the palm of your hand with our mobile app. So what are your next steps? It's simple. Learn more about Align by requesting a demo at aligntoday.com. Let us make sure we land you in that 10%. Align. Achieve big goals faster. And I'm like, okay. Because that was the only other person besides me selling. And he's like, yep, we fired him. I'm like, okay. So do I come in tomorrow and get my severance? And he's like, no, no, no. We made a decision. Like, you've sold more in the last two months than, than anyone has in this company's history. Like, certainly anyone did in the last two years. Um, why don't you stick it on? I'm going to give you two months to figure it out. So that's where I really got into sales for the the first time. And I'm happy to tell stories about it, but it was like, you know, just by the skin of my teeth, let's go. I have a question about that. How do you feel leadership did all that? Was, do you feel like that, that, that move, how, how they kind of told you, listen, we, we got rid of the sales. How do you, how do you feel that went? Certainly, if it was me, I wouldn't have done it that way. The the CEO, I hope he hears this. Actually, the CEO of that startup was like a little bit, a little bit run and gun. Like, I mean, I won't say his name on air, but he's just he's an interesting guy. And he had not been in sales. He just was really, really great at business and like had his head screwed on right. In hindsight, like certainly having been at you know bigger companies since, it was probably the wrong way to go about it. But what it did do is it lit this incredible fire and put a huge chip in my shoulder. I mean, he literally said to me. You've sold more in the last two months than the other person had in the last two years. Time to go prove your worth. You have basically two months. Like, let's see what you got, kid. And, you know, I okay. I didn't love the experience. I was, you know, terrified basically at that point. It was like my only source of income. I was excited yeah. to be in a startup. I wanted to go and win. I'm a naturally competitive person. So I'm like, I'm not going to fail at this. And I think in some ways, whether he was conscious of it or not, you know, the the two co-founders clearly knew that if they lit a fire, I would go and and burn in that sense, right? I would go and, and work hard. So I did. I mean, we, you know, I basically spent the next, I don't know, call it 16, 17 months, 18 months, every two months, give or take, sitting down with my CEO and him being like, cool, like you get to keep your job, keep going, work harder. We pivoted the company three or four times, et cetera. And what I learned certainly was like what I don't want in leaders. I don't want leaders that just say like, go do a job and don't guide me, don't teach me, don't help me grow. But I was young and hungry at the time. It actually taught me yeah. It was a little bit of like what I had taken from restaurants, which was like, there is no one else to do it. But there was a great leader. He was my GM, my first uh, restaurant gig. I was a um, host and hospitality manager, aka like I took reservations and like answered phones and, you know, getting, getting into the industry. And I remember one day we're just like crazy crunched, super rush, so busy. Yeah. And I'm just like, my head is spinning. I'm running the front of the house. There's like a two hour wait. You know, these are all things like if you've ever been in the industry, you know, this is like the worst scenario. It's like a Saturday and he rolls up behind me and like, you know, you could do this back in the day, like rib jabs me. And I'm like, oh God, you know what? He's like that table over there. It's been sitting, you know, uh, ready to get clean for like 10 minutes. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? And I'm like, oh, uh, quick. And I look and I see a busser and I'm like, you know, so-and-so can you tackle that table? And he rib jabs me again. And he goes, no, you idiot. Go do it yourself. And I'm, I just remember being like, what? I'm supposed to be doing this. And he's like, yeah. you don't ever ask somebody to do something you could do for yourself. You do it first. And you'll never have to ask them to do it again. Set the example was what he was teaching me. Totally different experience if you juxtapose that against like, hey, on a Sunday, 
you know, yeah. come in tomorrow morning. I want you here at 8 a.m. We let everybody go, but you. Let's see what you got, kid. Like totally different experience. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I, I feel that I was in the, uh, uh, I used to manage bars and be a bartender. You get it. Yeah, yep. I def, I def, I definitely get it. Um, I was also jabbed uh, when I, when I, I was first like, <laughs> it was, uh, I was in a, it wasn't really, I was, I was a co-manager, but I was, I was brand new. I was, I've been bartending for about two years, and you know, he's like, listen, Philip, we want you to manage now. And the, the, the main manager, right, basically, he was like, Philip, get your shit together. Like, you know, you, it's, 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 yeah. it's different now. Um, yeah. So I definitely, I, I get where you're coming from with that. Um, talk to me a little about, um, you know, your, your time in HubSpot. Uh, you're, you, are you currently leading a team? Do you, do you, what's going on right now there in that, in that aspect? It's so interesting. So I came from leading a, an eight-person team plus BDRs, SEs, like all of the dependencies to me. I mean, it's like I have peers. Uh, what's different is I do have a team, but it's cross-functional. Mm-hmm. And so none of them are beholden to me. It's a totally different experience. And it's been an awesome learning you know, curve and learning experience for me. I think the thing that I found most fascinating is that you're still very much a leader. And in fact, I I would selfishly perhaps say, you need to be more of a leader now because the people that, you know, I'm doing bunny ears for those of you who can't see me, like the quote unquote work for yeah. you don't work for you. Yeah. They work with you. Yeah. And though their manager might say like, you're, you know, you're under Barrett's wing or whatever expression they might use. They're like, they don't actually have to do anything that I ask them yes. to do. So I've enjoyed that. It's been a shift. You know, we're the team that I'm on is, is fresh. It's been, a, you know, whatever it's been now, 18 months or something like that. I've been on it for the past mm-hmm. six plus. And so we're building. And so like I will have, you know, direct reports next year and it will grow in the year mm-hmm. after and, you know, et cetera. But the fun thing about it, the most interesting thing is that I'm a leader without having to lead in that sense. Like I, I'm, I don't, you know, I'm not DRI, like I said, but I'm, I'm guiding these folks alongside me and they're guiding me through this journey of like, how do we improve you know, the partner ecosystem. What, what are those cross, uh, so cross departmental, correct? So what, who are you working with right now? Yeah. Oh gosh. So I've got like, um, a brilliant partner ops team, uh, data analytics folks, folks that are working on like the business intelligence side of the, the team yep. set here, um, project management. And then I've got, uh, legal, I've <laughs> got our contracting team, I've got finance, uh, I've got marketing, partner marketing in particular, and then obviously our kind of global yep. marketing, um, I've got uh, sales leadership, so a manager, director, VP, SVP, um, global heads of sales as well, because we've got this, you know, we have a globally inclusive business mm-hmm. here. Um, uh, who am I forgetting? I think there's some folks obviously in like the um, academy here. We have a huge academy team that I'm partnering yeah. with. I've got folks in, I mean, I, I would say like every facet of the the partner specialist team, our incredible acquisition group, like all of the the folks within that organization. So what's fascinating about it is there really isn't anyone that I'm not directly working with. I'd say like perhaps, I mean, I, I work with partner product. I don't work with our standard product teams because they're building the solution wherein I'm, I'm focused more on the partner engagement yeah. part of it. But partner product, like I, I think I've listed every business unit at HubSpot at this point. You have. Engineering. Listen. Yeah, I, I, like everyone, everyone. Yeah, yeah. That is go-to-market. You have to make sure you encompass everything together. So I completely get that. And out of out of the departments, do you, do you feel there's a difference between, well, I kind of know the answer to this, but I want to hear what, your, what your, your insight is. Do you feel there's a difference between obviously the product team or the product side of things and then you know, the sales marketing side of things? I think there's a... Uh, you know, it's interesting. Like if you ran a, you know, a disc assessment or like a, something that, that did like a personality test and whatnot, gave you that kind of like, how do we work together? Right. Yeah. Six cents. And there's a bunch of them. Um, I would say at its foundation, yes. Like those personalities, the way that they work together and or don't fundamentally are going to be different because inherently the skills you need to do those jobs are unique. Like they are separate, right? A marketer is different than a salesperson. But at a company like HubSpot, no, actually, I'd say yeah. at its core, there are some some like I would describe them as like character tenants, things that are pillars of what it takes to be successful here. That no, those are those are cross collab cross functional and, and yeah. collaborative because you have to be like that's just how we operate. So it's a, even like there's a, a, a cultural layer that that overlaps regardless yep. of your of of how your mind works. That's a great term. So cultural layer, I'm going to steal. I will use it again somewhere. That's brilliant. I just Almost like you're a marketer. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> you should like write that down, trademark. No, I mean, I think you're right. There's, 
most companies have some version of a, um, I would describe as like a standard operating procedure. There's like a framework of, of expectation. You know, you'll be respectful or they'll say like, you'll be collaborative. And then there's some companies, I would put HubSpot in this bucket that have the, you know, the unicorn dust and like fairy tears that sits on top of that, whatever that like special sauce is in that sense. Yeah. And I do think inherently the way that we've established this business, you get that like smartest people in the room, most collaborative, most invested selfishly, right? I've been here for eight years, but that's the special part of this, this dynamic. Interesting. Interesting. So trying to look, look, let's, let's go back a bit, looking back at um, when you were in sales and you did have your own team, correct? Yeah. So I, when I was a corporate sales leader, I had a team. And then when I was a um, partner manager, you know, throughout the couple of years that I did that, I didn't have a team that worked for me at HubSpot. I mean, I had a, a BDR I partnered with and an engineer and whatnot. They didn't, okay. they were not reporting to me, but my partners, it's funny. We used to always talk about my partners themselves. Most channel managers at HubSpot would say this, do work for me in some ways. And I don't, I don't want to say it in terms of like, they have to, you should build a mutually beneficial relationship, but those partners in many ways are beholden to you. Like you help them grow. We do work together. We sell together. We service together. So I had a team in that sense. Okay. That's it, interesting. I'm, I'm trying to think of how, do you feel that would, that would be any different than somebody with a traditional team would kind of work or should work? Totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause it's, it is different because the, we used to always talk about, I'm sure we still do, but I would always talk about um, influence, right? Your currency becomes trust. Mm-hmm. Your currency becomes like the most recent experiences that you've had. Mm-hmm. So I, I think inherently the core difference is that, and I, I'm going to say this a bit tongue in cheek, but like the people that work for you in the sense of like they're, if you look at them in an org chart, they're connected to you. Mm-hmm. Like you are their, their quote unquote manager, right? Mm-hmm. They, in some ways, again, I'm using bunny ears here, but like have to do the things. Yeah. So you're like, you need to make more phone calls. If you don't, you can fire that person, right? If you, you know, if necessary and all the stuff that comes with that. Okay, fine. When it comes to the the interconnection between a partner and a partner manager, mm-hmm. it's less of that. Now it's trust-based. Like I can say, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Partner, I need you to go do X because it's going to help us get better. But they're not required to. The expectation is that they would want to. Yeah. And the theory is that like I built enough value that they would say yes. But that dynamic is inherently different. Interesting. And okay, that's that's good. I like that. I like that. I like that. Do you, you know, being kind of you're you've been in an interesting position because you've kind of been kind of on your own island, even though you're in this huge huge business, almost in every aspect in in, in business for you at the moment. Are there some specific traits you've noticed that leaders that you, that not only you but a team has been attracted to more than others? I think it's more simple than. Uh, it's probably universal, right? Like regardless of where you are in business, it's absolutely first and foremost transparency. I think that, I mean, I, I'll speak about HubSpot specifically, but we're spoiled here because one of our kind of cornerstones is transparency. Yeah. When leaders tell you that, you know, shit's going wrong and tell you that shit's going right, that makes a difference. You trust them more. And sort of my second tenant, which is trust. Trust is earned. It takes time. And I think if I go back to that example I gave you of restaurant days with that, you know, GM rib jab in me, like yeah. I, I didn't take that as an insult. I took that as an opportunity to learn because I trusted him because I had worked alongside him in the trenches. We had bus tables together. We had run drinks together. We had taken service together. Like we had been through, you know, again, for those in the industry, like we had been through war together in that sense. And I don't mean to minimize that, but like, you know, in the restaurant industry. And, and so because of that, you know, my third thing would be like, do the work. The managers that I've, I look up to, that I have aspired to be like, and that I've tried to be like when I did manage teams and when I do are the ones that are transparent, that are, you know, honest and upfront that are intentional. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're doing things, you know, for the right reasons. And then ultimately like they're doing the work. I think I said that to you earlier, but you know, for me, it was always, and I see my peers, like we're drawn to the people that you know, they don't sit in their ivory tower and say like, do more of this. Yeah. They get down on the, in like the streets with you and they, you know, they, they sit next to you and they make three phone calls and they say, Oh shoot, that's not working. We should try something different. Yeah. Or they do a call review with you because they can't be live, but then they, you know, they, they talk about it in real terms, not just, gosh, you know, Philip, I feel like you didn't do a good job there. Like they role play it with you. They listen to the words that you're using. And so, you know, I think if I were to distill it all down, and you, you hear this all the time now, obviously, especially in social media, but, um, yeah. you know, be a person, like be a human. Yeah. This is not a manager 
you know, employee dynamic. This is two people doing some good stuff together, hopefully making some money and, and trying yeah. to grow a business in that sense. Yeah. But everybody's focused on the same goal, right? That's kind of like, yep. I, I don't, I, I'm, I'm going to try as much as possible not to be cliche here, but um, you know, you have those memes out there where you, that where it shows what a boss is versus a leader. If the boss just like screaming and just saying, yeah. do, this, oh, yeah. do this, do this. And you have the leader kind of not saying anything, just pulling people behind them. Or her, yeah, they're rolling right? the ball or whatever with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's um it it feels it, it's it's interesting because humans have always been this way, and somehow um, when you think about when you think about businesses, not not lately, but if we go back a bit, a couple you know a couple of decades, a boss was like, right? Like <laughs> it's just. It, it, Sure. Like this, this person who's incredibly annoying, um, had no empathy, and um, somehow that's how businesses got built. You know, you just have to listen. There's absolutely you, you can't go left or right. You can't ask questions. This is the way to do things. Yeah, they were your adversary. Exactly. They were your adversary. They they did not work alongside you. They were your adversary. Exactly. I'm trying to figure out how these companies did so well. Like you know, at the time, maybe it was I'm just not like, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a booming area. I guess everybody you know everybody uh, was doing well then, but. Um, uh, today that this doesn't work. No, you can't do that. It's a people thing. You're right. And I, I think that the core element is that like, now you go, let's go a layer deeper, right? So you've got, you've got people selling to people. You've got like all the, like, you know, Daniel Pink and all these, you know, prolific speakers saying like, just be human and sell like a human. And, you know, all of this content and this, this methodology was developed around like how to be a person. Yeah. And then we, at the same time, we're saying like, but let's go build technology that can mimic being a person. And, you know, like, I don't know when someone's listening, let's pretend that someone's listening to this in the next few months. Let's say it's like five years from now, it's totally different. Like, how do you sell like a human when you're not selling? There's a you know bit of AI that's doing it for you. Like, that's yeah. the part to me that gets really interesting. Yeah. Now you cross the chasm in terms of, is a manager someone that's guiding you, supporting you and developing you? Or yeah. is a manager somebody who's prescribing the right, you know, AI algorithm to enable you to better prospect. I mean, then it gets really weird. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting you touched on AI. I, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, if you think that in any way AI would, would leak into leadership. Because I see it doing the, the, the mundane, like, you know, as a marketer, yeah. easily see creating articles, um, um, easily seeing it doing some like really cool things. But, but at, the, at the, I hate saying this, but not a lower level, but at a more junior level, do you see AI seeping into 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 leadership in any way? Has to, yeah, it has to. There's actually, um, all right. So you ready? Shameless plug, but there's this awesome, brilliant company that I advise um, called ChipBrain, and what they've figured out is how to consume auditory and written content, so they can listen to your like Gong or Chorus calls or HubSpot calls, take all that in, right? They can look at your emails and all of your written copy, and from through their algorithm, their AI can you know consume all of that content, and from it. Uh, understand emotion and from emotion derive intent. So now, like, let's imagine a world, it's two years from now, you lead a sales team of eight people. And coaching is no longer intuitive, time and seat based. Imagine, you know, instead of being a a person who has to be down in the trenches, and you're like listening to calls, and you're helping to guide, what if AI can do all of that for you? What if it can do it live? Like this company has figured out how to, while you're on a call, prescribe to you solutions that will actually help you influence toward a better outcome the way that your customer interacts with your sales team, your CS team, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, to answer your question, we can do this all day, but I do think it's already infiltrated leadership. I mean, even at its simple, like let's go really foundational. You look at yeah. HubSpot and Chorus and Gong and all these audio recording and transcription solutions, mm -hmm. even in the last 12 months, went from we can record your call and we can give you written word to record written word and now we can highlight. Yeah, summarize. We can pull out. Yeah. yeah, we can summarize. We can pull out the most commonly used words. Did you say um three times? Like all of these things that used to, I mean, when I was a manager, even when I was a rep early on, that's what I worked on. I spent time listening to my calls either live, like my manager would sit next to me. We used to have these splitters because we used like actual hard phones. We had splitters on the cord so he could wear a headset and sit next to me and listen to me on the call. And he would write on a piece of paper, like say this, try that. Or he'd grab the mic on his own headset, pull it away. I would hit mute and he'd say, do this, do that, go left, go right. Now 
AI can do that for you. And I, and I like at the risk of sounding a little bit dystopian, I think in this sense, I think three to five years, like it replaces a lot of respectfully the admin, the mundane, the like daily task of keeping your team focused. Yeah. I actually think if you do it right, it makes the manager infinitely more productive in terms of delivering value. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, you know, I love you, AI, uh, just to make sure if you're hearing this, uh, some a couple of years down the line, I, I'm not <laughs> hating, I'm just, uh, just wondering what, what, what I need to do in the future to make sure I still have a job. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. I'm not a target. Don't put me on your list. I still want to be your friend. Yeah, it's great. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, a little, a little Elon Muskish. Uh, he <laughs> he likes to do that as well when he when he's on podcasts. Um, he likes to say, "I, I love you." Uh, you know, just just so you know. Um, <laughs> interesting. Uh, when it comes to uh, people, uh, mentors that maybe some people might may or may or not know. Um, is there anybody out there that you're you're interested in? Somebody somebody lately that you've that you kind of say, "Hey, this is somebody you should listen to." Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's like the standard stuff that we're all used to hearing. There's a lot of it out there. I always like, uh, and this is again probably because he's been in my circle, but uh, Mark Roberge, who's our first head of sales at HubSpot, grew us to 100 million. He's just got this. Mm-hmm. It's a different approach. He's not a you know I'm doing bunny ears again, but not a sales guy in the sense of like, you know, I I've met some brilliant sales leaders. David Katz right now head of corporate sales at HubSpot, brilliant sales leader. Just like has a mind for it, yeah. understands business. Guy is just you know he's fantastic. I don't know how much he does outward facing content, but you know, if you can catch any of it, I know he's been a few podcasts and stuff. David's a, a brilliant leader. Mark Roberge didn't get hired because he was a sales leader. He got hired because he was a data scientist. The guy was an engineer, had like this totally different approach. And he has this entire methodology, science of scale. I, I can't pitch it the way he can, but you know, he's figured out how to mathematically grow a business and do it consistently. And he's wrote books on it and he's been on, you know, a million podcasts. And Mark is somebody I admire because when I think about sales, I think about people this way too, but when I think about sales, it's there's this misconception that's all art. Oh, are you a good talker? Like you were saying earlier, you, you picture that guy or gal in like the sleazy suit being like, you know, buy this car, right? Yeah. I think now you get much more of the science brought in. So the difference is like when you think about the traditional sales role, even five years ago, and it was somebody who like had you know some version of a, a really good language set. They were like really good at speaking. They knew how to talk the talk. All those expressions you've heard. Now, and I think Mark was on the cutting edge of this. You've got folks that are here because they bring the science in. Like they measure, they analyze. They know if you make ten phone calls versus fifteen, you'll miss. But you make that fifteen, you're going to connect three times, and those three connections, you know, et cetera. The other one, I, and again, I don't think he does enough content, but Justin Hyatt was one of the early BDR leads at HubSpot. He led our, our global org at one point. He's a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. I, forgive me, I don't remember where he is right now. He's transferred uh, in the last year or so, but um, he's chief growth officer at that company because I saw his, his new title about six months ago, a year ago, whatever. Justin was always good because Justin much like me, like doesn't look like a BDR leader. Like I, I'm wearing a long sleeve right now, but I've got tattoos. Like I've got a shaved head for those who can't see me. I'm aware of the fact that I don't look like, you know, the traditional sales lead in that sense. Justin is the same. Like he's kind of an edgier dude, but like the guy's done really well because he's figured out how to help BDRs be successful. He's just really good at BD. He's really good at growth. Um, I I like to look for leaders like that, if that helps. And then the other side of the same coin is like someone like, I'll stay at HubSpot for this example, um, Andrew Quinn. He was our head of training at one point. He's um, responsible for a lot of our go-to-market enablement now. He's just somebody that has a mind for human beings. So I think that's the thing that perhaps is like the the difference, like, um, you know, Seth Goggin and such. Like there are people that are using psychology more, people that are using the understanding of human interaction to be successful. Those are the ones I'm attracted to. Love a good sales leader. Like I love a good get in the trenches, make a phone call, you know, send an email kind of person. But I think as you shift, certainly to your point with AI and just the way people buy more and more, that the psychology of it is where you're going to see, you know, true success long-term. Those are the folks I look for. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned humans. Um, I, I, uh, Whenever I have, whenever I'm on the other side of this this podcast, you know, when where you're sitting, uh, a lot of times people talk, ask me, yeah. you know, what 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 is the difference between uh, B2B and, and B2C, for example? And uh, I, I what I first mentioned right off the bat, it's not necessarily different; it's just a longer funnel because at the end of the day, it's humans 
to humans, right? We're, we're not, we don't have this like big, huge building talking to another one uh, and trying to close a deal, right? Uh, at the end of the day, you have a, uh, a, a salesperson talking to a decision maker uh, or marketing, trying to market or create ads. So this decision maker pays attention to the fact that the product exists and at the, it's, it's, it's a human to human interaction. And a lot of people kind of disconnect that when it comes to business. So yeah, it's uh, I, but that's a scary trend, isn't it? I mean, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit old school in that sense. Like when I started my sales career, like you had to connect with somebody. It had, it was about, you know, you went to their website and you did research or you like looked up their LinkedIn and you understood them. And I remember like, we used to joke early on, like who can find their Facebook, who can find their Twitter. Like, I want to know who this person is, because if I'm delivering value, it's not just like, I know my product can help your business grow. It's I know you as a person will benefit by spending, you know, 10 grand, 50 grand, hundred grand, whatever it is on this solution. Like you're going to get a promotion. You're going to grow your business. You're going to scale or whatever. And I think that's the piece that, and at the risk of sounding a little bit too much kind of um, ethereal, but like we're missing that now more and more and more. And that human component in terms of like, uh, if I'm a BDR and I'm listening to this right now, like I'm sitting there thinking, you know, how do I scale that? There's a thousand tools that'll help you scale it. There's a thousand tools that'll give you buyer intent. And I'm a marketer, like, great, use that buyer intent score, use that, you know, recent uh, search criteria. Like there's so much Intel. So I think the difference is, Instead of me having to sit at my desk like I used to for like 10 hours and do research on 20 people and craft personalized messaging and, and like do all of that, you've got tools like, you know, Humantic and mm-hmm. um, I can think of 10 others, but there are all these platforms now that'll come in and they'll do the work for you. Like they'll do that research in a millisecond and put in front of you the human messaging. Yeah. But I think that's the key is like you need to make sure that when you take this Intel, AI or otherwise, right, wherever it came from that you apply it in a human-to-human way, to your point. It's not B2B, it's not B2C, it's H2H, human-to-human, and that makes a difference. Yes, H2H. Talking about humans, when it comes to people that you're working with right now, mm-hmm. what, what, are their, what are their ages? Are they, are they a little uh, younger, older? Where, where are they sitting? Uh, I, I think they're like somewhere between, you know, maybe like late 20s to like early to mid fifties. I mean, I think we're kind of in that general working bucket when I was in sales, it, it probably skewed a little bit younger just in terms of yeah. like, generally speaking, tech sales, unfortunately tends to sit in that space of like 23 to 35 ish, right? 38. Like I was old as a sales rep in that sense. And I'm, I was like 34, 35, mm-hmm. um, in the end of my kind of, if you will, sales time, at least so far, mm-hmm. I'll go back to it. Um, I think that there is something interesting about that group because it's, especially at like the te- in the tech space, it's a little bit of the like, let's go faster, let's work harder, the hustle culture that you see glamorized by social media, wherein mm-hmm. like, if I think about my dad, you know, when he was selling, you know, he was, he was working much longer, bigger transactions, but like, you know, he was in his forties and fifties and, you know, there's a different level of exposure perspective and experience at that stage. With, with the younger, with the younger, with the younger team members do you feel that you need to speak them in a different way like and it sounds uh, that sounds so That's gross i'm sorry but like do you feel yeah, no, yeah i know okay. what you're doing go, go ahead I'm, i want to hear what your opinion is about that well here's the thing i think that there's uh a different i think every generation has a different nuance to the, the language they use like i mm-hmm. think if you look at let's say every 10 years keep it simple right the 10 yeah. year buckets the yeah. the 20s and the 30s speak similarly, but have different life experience. And so I think we're, as I mentioned, my Lego mat example earlier on, like, I think we are the sum of our experiences. Everyone you know, has heard a quote version of that. Yeah. And that if I take my Lego mat and I think about the way that my Legos are arranged, you and I could go through life the same way and have different Lego arrangements. In fact, I, I read a book recently. Um, it's kind of out there. It's fun though. Dark matter. Don't, I don't want to ask me who it's by, but if you Google dark matter book, it'll show up on the internet. Um, fascinating and, and I won't ruin it for everybody, but it talks a lot about the idea of like multiverse and like, what if every time we made a decision in life that those decisions would then create separate paths that had now two versions of ourselves continuing on in life, different realities, if you will, but that those experiences then kind of diverge your branch. And so you kind of continue on in different directions. When I think about the twenties, you know, they're experiencing social media at a very different level than I did. Social yeah. media was not a thing when I was a kid, right? I was late college-ish, like graduating college before Facebook really mattered at all. And Facebook was the earliest. I think about, you know, the the 20s now where like they've got 
multiple platforms to produce content on. And, you know, so the language is different. It's not just in terms of like, do I speak in, you know, Instagram and TikTok? It's more like speed. So I think a lot about, you know, my, my parents' generation in their late 60s, early 70s, that, you know, the speed at which they operated was different because they didn't have to because their inputs were less. They weren't being bombarded by media constantly. You know, it was the TV program at the end of the day, perhaps on the television if they were lucky, not I pick up my phone and I've got the entire world at my fingertips. Like that's a very different yeah. level. So the language, like I know what you meant and I, I think that you're right to ask it that way. Like I, I do think that the language is different, not just in terms of words, but the speed, the the ways that we interact. Like I don't, I text or Slack 90% of the time. I don't, you know, I, I've got meetings all day, but but most of my business is done, not via email. You'd think it was email. I mean, I still get maybe 50 to 100 emails a day. Most of them are like big update. A majority of my communication is Slack. That's different than 100%. seven yeah. years ago, eight years ago. It's, yeah. uh, if there's one thing I got to give uh, the younger generation, listen, I'm, I'm, I, I might not look it, but I'm a year older than you. Um, yes. Um, uh, oh, 83, 1983. And uh, um, yeah. one thing I have to give credit to the younger generation is, is, is that speed. They, they, they get it. They get that it needs to be fast just because they want it fast and they understand that the, the next person wants it fast too. So um, understanding quicker is, uh, is, is not a problem. Like for example, if I explain my, my dad's generation, something, it needs to be slow. You know, we need diagrams. We need to, uh, uh, you know, speak in, in their terms. <laughs> and uh, with, with the, with the younger generation, it's, 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 give them credit. It's a little bit easier on that end of things. They just, they, they kind of get it, even though sometimes I'm going to jump ahead, but that's, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing as long as we don't have the finger on the, on the nuke button. Right. Right. That's uh, I always, I always joke with my team about that. Listen, yeah, this isn't, um, you know, if something bad happens, nobody's dead. Like I'm being very incredibly like uh, morbid here, but, um, you know, Wednesday's now a thing right now, Netflix, I'm going to go with it. Um, nobody's, nobody's dead, right. It's okay. We can figure it out. Money can always be made, even if there's a money mistake happening. Um, you know, there's always another person that will uh, understand there's value for it with our product, and it's fine. So that's just something I, I got. I got to give props to uh, uh, the Gen Zs out there, or at least the younger generation in general. I wonder if there's a cost to it. Like, I think there's something very clear going on to your point that the speed at which we operate is much faster. I'll admit, and this is, you know, the old guy in me, my old soul, like there's days that I go, Oh God, I want to make it stop. Like, how do I turn it all off? I even, <laughs> this is so bad. A couple of years ago, I met with a few developer friends and we were just kind of, you know, chit-chatting about ideas. And I said, um, what if there was a way to, to install an app on your phone that would let you control globally all of the notifications across all your applications in terms of when you received them, when you didn't. And then I mean, Apple was listening like a year later, the um, do not disturb mode shut up. And I was like, okay, well, you're in my head. We did a bunch of research and it turned out that Apple had completely locked any controls over notifications unless you were approved app and that anyone had tried to do what we were talking about got shut off. So it was like, I very clearly, obviously that the machine was saying, do not touch. And then just a prime example, just this weekend, there's a company that I advise that one of their... Um, team members sent a Slack to a bunch of us on Sunday at like whatever it was, 8 a.m., 8.30 a.m. And I'll be mm-hmm. candid, like nothing boils my blood more than people that do work on weekends and bother other people. You can do work. I have no problem with that. That is your prerogative. Don't send me a message. I, I now hate this person. He'll find out soon enough. But the reality is I, I got into this like moment of fury where I'm like, because it, it breaks me out of my weekend. I'm free. I'm yeah. Now I'm thinking about whatever you know crap you sent me. But then I realized, well, that's my responsibility. I screwed that up. And so this morning I went into Slack and Slack had finally updated and allowed you to do selective notifications. So historically it was just time. Now you can choose when. So I went to all, I'm in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight channels right now. Different companies I advise, different groups. All of them now say only weekdays between 8.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. can I receive any notifications. And so I think that's the change, right? To your point in terms of communication, speed, style, we now have a bit of control. We're starting to see at least a bit more control over what, you know, we're able to do tactically, functionally, in terms of limiting the amount of inputs that we have. But to your point, Mm -hmm. Gen Z and beyond are much more involved with all of that media consumption, which I think goes back to your earlier statement of how does AI change the leader? 
perhaps AI allows you to manage more of that and then allows you to actually lead and develop and coach and enable your team members to be more productive through that that output. Yeah, it's 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 a great um, burnout prevention tool. Which yeah, oh yeah. Something that God, God knows what's happening right now when it comes to burnout. Everybody's burning out right now. Regardless if we can get into what at what point did somebody burn out or not, which is a completely different story, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right. If they are burning out for whatever reason, they are burning out and, 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 and trying to do as much as possible to make sure that they focus on their time efficiently when they're when they need to, instead of having this open policy, you know, there's no real work work times. Yeah. Uh, it's just whenever you, you can do something, do it. It's blend. People always talk about work life balance. I call bullshit. It's work life yeah. blend. And if you're not yeah. good at that, especially now, and you asked how the language had changed, I think the working style has changed. People don't want to work nine to five. I saw a thing the other day, actually, maybe it was this morning. Um, it was uh, Benioff, head of Salesforce, talking about, you know, he had some Slack he had sent or whatever. I'm not going to do it justice. So forgive me if someone at Salesforce hears this, but like something to the effect of like, are the new people that we've hired less productive? And he had this whole commentary, I think it was internal, someone had just shared around like, are people less productive and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, juxtaposed directly next to that was another company. And of course, I forget the guy's name, forgive me, but CEO, major brand, you'd recognize it. I did. And he's like, pre-pandemic, I was that guy. Like I was the guy that was like, we can never work remote. We're going to lose all of our intrinsic knowledge. This is not going to work. And he's like, now, like I used to complain about people working from home on Wednesdays. We are a remote first culture. Even HubSpot did that. HubSpot was always remote friendly. It was never you know, it wasn't, it wasn't not encouraged. Like we didn't have a world where we said, don't do it. But now like, I don't care where you are in the world and I don't care when you work, get your job done. And as long as your output is at, you know, MVP, like minimum viable, I mean, more power to you. And at me is like, you know, I'm I'm a dad, I'm a husband. I have a, my wife and I have a four-year-old. Like I had his Christmas concert last Thursday. I didn't work most of my morning because I got to go to my son's first ever Christmas recital. Like that's important to me that's even more important to the generations behind me. And I think you're going to see this fundamental shift further and further away from, you know, formatted work hours and structured, you know, sort of like, um, you know, mandated at work, if you will, and get much more into guardrails and they'll be like broad. And so you'll do your work within whatever framing works for you. As long as you don't bump into the guardrails too much. Like I think people will be allowed to operate the way they need to. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And it's, it's, it's funny if you, if you look back before pandemic, and you and somebody would say, uh, I don't know. Listen, I want to. I want to work remotely. It would be. It would be red flag. Yes, it would 100%. be red flag. It's like there's yeah. no way. You, I, what, what are you? What are you doing? And and like I think a big part of it too in in the idea of like working remote was that remote meant less productive. Remote meant that you weren't doing your job. Remote was like an excuse to not work. Right. I remember hearing statements around that. And even like, um, yeah, you know, I, I've been in HubSpot for almost eight years. I, I love the work that I do, but I will leave here someday. Like I'm fully aware of that. I'm not, I'm not a lifer. Right. I'm still surprised some days that I wake up and I'm still here, but you know, I've been able to find really incredible, fascinating, challenging roles. And so I just, you know, every couple of years I go and do something more interesting. As long as I'm learning, I'm happy at some point I'll just say, okay, enough is enough. I want to go and grow somewhere else. When that happens, the core, like the first value that's most important to me is I can work from home. And I remember as a kid, my dad did that. You know, I'm, I'm a uh, 85, we're talking about birthdays, so I'm 1985. Um, and, um, you know, in that context, my dad working from home was like weird, right? Like he was in tech sales, he traveled a bunch, but, you know, he didn't go to an office. He worked out of the spare bedroom upstairs kind of thing, like I do here at my own home. And, I think that has always been a part of culture, but I do believe if we're going to label it again, that like the general sense is that anybody under, let's say 50 ish now, if I just were to, that's ageist, but you get the idea. Generally speaking, people that have been in the workforce. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think you're going to see more and more, and you are seeing it, like just complete rejection of organized structured hours. There's no reason for me to stay at a company where I can't be the best version of myself outside of work. Because if I am, I'm going to do infinitely better work when I actually mm-hmm. am focused on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also another 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 quote or I guess saying, I, I, I always muck it up, but the idea is, um, do you prefer somebody who doesn't develop professionally and stays in your, in your, in your company or do you prefer somebody that does develop oh, yeah. 
and is, you know, and has the potential of leaving because they're, you know, they're getting better. And, uh, yeah, I've seen those before. Yeah. It's smart. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what, 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 what do you do? Cause you, and, and I'm going to actually ask you this. What do you think, what do you think leaders should do in the situations? Like what, and, and it'll, it'll lead me to another question about what is keeping, actually keeping people at their positions. Like you are uh, obviously not a lifer. You said you're not a lifer. Listen, to be eight years. I've been in here a long time. Yeah. Though. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's a long time. There's a great quote I got. Someone told me this when I was younger here, actually, someone at HubSpot, but they said, uh, Barrett, you're either the smartest person in the room, most skilled, so you get paid the most, or you're not. And what you don't get paid, you make up for a knowledge gain. And that really stuck with me. Like I've always thought about every role, every opportunity, everything I've pursued in my life has been either to get paid the most because I was the best or to, I shouldn't say in in life, you know, here at HubSpot in particular, um, or to gain knowledge. I think to answer the last question first, when you talk about what people stay for, it's because they're growing. In particular, if we stay in the the kind of thought thread of like by ages and by groups and kind of workforce dynamics, people want to learn because they have so much access to information. You don't need to go and get an MBA tomorrow. You can use the internet to do that for free. Like now there's values to going, there's value, excuse me, to going to a program and getting it, you know, uh, professionally trained. And there are certain industries that's required, but I think the core difference is if you're a modern company, regardless of industry, it doesn't matter you know, what you do, you have to be developing your team. And the fear element of, but what if they leave? I mean, I, I'm just going to say what I'm thinking, which is like, that's just dumb. That's just narrow, short-sighted, you know, and I would say like ancient thinking because fundamentally the employee, to your point, that quote is, is spot on. I actually, I know the graphic, there's like a graphic that goes with it, right? Um, the person that's growing you know, is interested. The person that's growing is invested. And whether they're going to stay there forever and use that institutional knowledge, you know, I, I'm very transparent even with my peers about this. Like I've stayed at HubSpot because sometimes I made the most money I've ever made in my life. And other times I didn't make nearly as much or enough in some instances, but I learned a ton. Yeah. And, you know, for me, I value knowledge and, you know, actual money as both the same currency. They're different, but they have the same value, which is that I'm growing. And, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate, like uh, I'll say this openly, super fortunate to be at a point in my life where, you know, I've got a, a great home and it's safe and I can afford it. I've got an incredible, you know, wife who's a great, you know, mother to my child and partner to me. And you know, like, we're in a really good spot where a lot of people don't have that fortune. They have to make different decisions. But my argument would be, if you're an organization, you're a business and you're sitting there saying, how do I attract top talent? How do I retain top talent? And how do I grow my business more predictably, intentionally, et cetera? You do all of that by investing in them every single day. Pay them well. Give them, you know, benefits. Yeah, people love a good candy wall or like gym membership. Okay, fine. But educate them. Make them better at their job. Give them chances to do other jobs. I always thought like to kind of land the plane on this thinking, but I always thought the most fascinating idea is this uh, this concept of like at three years or five years tenure in a company, you can do either three or six month stints in other roles in the business. Like imagine a world where you're a sales manager and you're five years in and we get it like at HubSpot, you get a sabbatical every five years, you get a month off. I appreciate that. That's incredible. It's valuable. Like I'm, I'm in for that. But what if the alternate, like the, maybe the two and a half year in between that five, if you will, I get to go and be, do like a 60 day fellowship in product. Do a do a thirty day fellowship in marketing. I don't know what the timeline or the value is, or rather the framework is, but the value is that I would go and get exposure to another part of the business. Those are the people like self-aggrandizing, but like people like me that have done a bunch of different things at a company. I think I provide far more value because I have perspective. I have you know certainly time and seat, but I have perspective across the business. I've been in training. I've been a frontline sales rep. I've been a corporate sales manager. I'm in go to market. Like I've got all these different pictures. Now I can see around the globe, if you will, it's in my hand, right? If you're picturing that versus one line of sight. And a line here, what we do, uh, you know, there's uh, what we try to do. And I, I try to do with my team is, well, there are two things. One, uh, in- internally through the whole company's equity. I feel that not only making them feel, but actually being part yep. of the company is crucial to getting people on board and wanting to do more. Because when one department wins or when, you know, everybody wins, Right. Um, when product and marketing and, and, and ops, and they, they all work together to, to, again, at the end of the day, help sales, make it easier for sales. That's a win for everybody. And that, that equity 
kind of benefit, I believe, is something that's incredibly powerful. We don't have to repeat it, but getting getting your team and 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 the company just smarter, right? In general, is something that's incredibly incredibly important. I had a few questions here for you, which already answered. You know, right off the bat, favorite quote, which is great. Um, one of the things we didn't talk about because we talked about all the sweet stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the sour stuff. Anything that you can think of that you know anybody could learn from from a bad experience that you had, either you know you yourself or or uh, you you've seen. You know you can you can obviously take out names, or if you can leave them in, <laughs> it will just tag them on LinkedIn so they so they know they're shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just yeah, we'll we'll, put, we'll do an at tag. Yeah, you're the worst. Um, yeah, I mean, in our last like minute here, the thing for me that I think is most interesting to highlight is the idea of selfishness. I think you see the worst sales leaders, the worst business leaders focus on themselves. We talk about in partnerships a lot. I had somebody in my own show a couple months ago talked about value first. Like, how do you build an ecosystem? How do you build the partnerships at scale? Value first, give value first. I think leaders need to do the same thing. I think to be successful, you do that. I think to be unsuccessful, and I've been around plenty of folks like this, you make it about yourself. The reality is like, it's that whole concept of, you know, put good vibes out in the world, put good things out in the world and you'll get it back. I think you have to do that in sales more than anything. And you have to be intentional about it. A leader that, you know, is leading from the front, but willing to get into the work. A leader that empathizes with their team, listens to them, understands what's actually happening and doesn't just say words, but again, does the the work itself. Those are the ones that, that I think operate and we can at tag them all when this thing goes live. But I think fundamentally, there's something interesting about this idea of, you know, a leader being separate. I don't think a leader is separate. I think a leader is somebody, again, I've seen that quite a bit too, but a leader that is somebody who, you know, works with their peers to be successful. Um, And then lastly, like, always assume good intent. I mean, this is a human-centric business. One of my most interesting experiences was uh, leading a team of eight people. And I had a director say to me one day, you have to realize that every person has typically two bad days a month. So that means you've got 16 bad days a month, which means that generally speaking, every day you work, because we are working an average of 20 days a month, that uh, you'll have somebody's worst day in front of you. So like lead with empathy, lead with heart, lead with humanity. And you know, at the end of the day, those are the best leaders. All right. Last question, completely random. We're, we're, we're asking uh, about sweet and sour foods. So I'm going to do verses right now. Uh-huh. Three, th- three yeah. things, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. And I really, really appreciate it. I want to thank you. This, is, this has been great. All right. Here we go. Mangoes versus lemons. Lemons. All right. Gummy worms versus Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids. Come on. That's an easy one. (laughs) Sweet potatoes versus pickles. Oh, shit. That's a hard one. I like I like both. Like a good – there's a Jewish deli near me. I'm I'm half Jewish. Like it's like hardcore Jewish deli pickle. Man, that's like my – that's my game right there. Garlicky, like legit. But I do love sweet potatoes. We eat a lot of sweet potatoes in this house. I'm going to go – if I had to use one for the rest of my life, I'd go sweet potato. All right. Again, Barrett, thank you very, very much. Appreciate it. Uh, we will tag all those selfish leaders. And, uh, and yeah, no, I'm kidding. We won't. Right? No, we won't. <laughs> um, thank you very much. Uh, this is our first podcast. Have a great day. And, uh, yeah, let's get shit done. Love it. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Barrett, for joining us on our very first of many episodes. To all the listeners out there, stay tuned on your favorite podcast platform. You can subscribe on our website, aligntoday.com slash podcasts. We have some amazing guests in the pipeline. Sam Jacobs, CEO of Pavilion. Anna Powell, a five-time startup operator, RevOps beast. And Dr. Chitra Anand, the author of The Greenhouse Approach, an entrepreneur advocator, to name a few. So stay tuned for the next episode of Sea Sweet and Sour.